Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, the podcast. I'm your host, Donna Carrick. got a great show for you today. We're here with Dr. Gregory Cumming, who is the author of The Symbionese Liberation Army and Patricia Hurst, Queen of the Revolution, um, which he co-authored with Stephen Sales. And this book came out from Great Oak Press in California, 2019. So it's a brand new book. And this is a, a fantastic book. You can look it up on Amazon, Please do so, because it's really just a slice of history. For those of us who are old enough to remember the case, um, it's particularly interesting. But if you if you weren't around in those days, this is something that you can really learn from. And it's well laid out. It's terrific research and uh, really laid out in layman's terms so anyone can enjoy reading it. So please stay with us as we, we talk to Dr. Gregory Cumming. I'm speaking with Dr. Gregory Cummings, author of The Symbionese Liberation Army and Patricia Hurst, Queen of the Revolution. And uh, Greg, how are you this morning? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm very well, and welcome to Dead to Rights. I wanted to talk to you about your book. I'm looking at a copy of it right now. It's a a beautiful book. I believe you co-authored it with Stephen Sales. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Now, what prompted you to write this book? I know that seems an obvious question, but for our listeners, um, I know you're a historian, and what drew you to this particular story? Well, I grew up in the Bay Area while all this was happening, and uh, so I sort of lived through it as a, as a young kid, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, um, and yeah, I hadn't thought anything about it after, after going to college and um, working uh, in my present job with the Nixon Library, I'm about to get on a, a flight. This is in the late 1990s. Um, I'm actually I was still with the Reagan Library at the time and grab a book uh, on the topic. And it just struck me that um, enough hadn't been written. Um, the final pages haven't been written. There's more to the story. Everything seemed to have been written in the 1970s of any significance other than Patricia Hearst's uh, uh, version of the events. And so I thought, here's a great topic. Nobody's gone and looked at the FBI files. Nobody's gone and, and, and pursued a lot of these other sources. So let's see what the story is. And so I began with the FBI records. And like I said, nobody had really accessed them. The only evidence that anybody accessed them was... Uh, Steve Weed, who had um, picked and chose uh, some of the documents, I guess uh, when he was um, looked at by the FBI as a potential suspect. So it was very interesting. There was a lot of material out there um, and a lot still to be written. Now, Steve Weed was the fiancé of Patricia Hearst prior to the kidnapping event. Is that right? Correct. Okay, okay. And he was uh, he was eliminated as a suspect in the kidnapping, um, if I remember correctly from Correct. your work here. Now, as a historian, you've got a, a unique ability to be able to research in the cold light of day, um, whereas uh, 
my recollection now i was in my early teens when all of these events took place so my recollections may be very um very sketchy at best but i seem to recall it was a very emotional coverage and the literature and the reporting on it was highly charged at the time and not really based on a lot of fact uh, the big debate of course was was Patricia part of her own kidnapping? Was she truly Tanya? Or was she, had she been brainwashed into supporting the, the uh, SLA? So, um, you know, what you're presenting here is really a documentary of the actual evidence at the time. And it's beautifully laid out. I, I really commend you on the photos you've been able to include. And um, they're, they're just fascinating. Um, how... How does that research in the cold light of day and with the passage of time, what are the main differences between that and the coverage at the time? Uh, the difference being, one, is we don't have anything to hide. And a lot of the other ones, they didn't have the names or didn't want to include names or people didn't want to be involved. Um, so they had to, when, when interviewing them, the authors would not include a person's name or wouldn't include where they got received the information. Um, there's another book that recent came out just before mine um, that uh, didn't use, in my opinion, didn't footnote appropriately. Uh, so we don't know where his sources came from exactly. Um, so what Steve and I uh, set out to do, and unfortunately Steve isn't with us anymore, um, passed away in the process of writing the book. Uh, what we set out to do is document where everything we found, where it came from. So that way people who read the book can decide for themselves as well. Is this a legitimate source? Is um, is this accurate? Um, we try to lay it out for them to make it, uh, the decisions. We lay all the names out um, and we think that we have everything extremely accurate. We know who was involved in the early assassination of uh, Marcus Foster, um, which has been um, debated previously. And we have some names of sources um, and we, we put the characters where the people involved, where they were, what they're doing and how they got there. And we lay it out very well, I, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. I, I do believe you did. Um, before we go any further, my condolences on the passing of your friend and collaborator, Stephen Sales. Um, I'm sorry that he, he um, isn't here to see the book being launched out and, um, you know, reaching its audience. Um, but, but yes, I agree with you that, uh, because the case and sorry for the noises, but it's because I'm turning the book over in my hands right now, because the case in the public mind was never really settled. And I know Patricia Hurst was pardoned at some point. So it becomes a moot point what her involvement was, but the public still very much wants to know and still finds it extremely mysterious. Um, I, I believe you've uncovered some new evidence in your research, too. Is that correct? Yes. Um, first of all, with uh, with uh, uh, Patricia Hurst, um, she was her sentence was commuted by uh, uh, President Carter, 
And then she was pardoned by President Clinton on uh, his last day in office, one of his many pardons. Um, the U.S. attorneys usually are consulted regarding um, any type of pardon. It goes through the pardon attorney, um, things of that nature. The U.S. attorneys um, were extremely upset about the possibility of Patty Hearst being uh, pardoned because they felt that she had never shown contrition, that she was actively involved. So um, they were not um, really thrilled about it. Now, as I got into the U.S. Attorney's Office, I also found an FBI interview with Jack Scott, who was dying of cancer. In this document, in this interview, and it was going to be used in the uh, Sarah Jane Olson trial, had that case ever gone to trial, um, and Patty Hearst was supposed to be one of the government um, informants on that, they were, it was going to be used against Patty Hearst. And in this, Jack Scott says, as he's um, getting ready to, to take her cross country, he stops, and this is him saying it, just the two of them. He states to her as they're just about to leave Berkeley, stops the car and says, I will take you anywhere you want to go, anywhere. You tell me, I'll take you to your family, I'll take you to a friend. You don't have to go to the East Coast. I'll take you anywhere you want to go. She tells them, him in no uncertain terms, you take me to my friends on the East Coast now. Um, and then while they're making that drive, while they make that trip, um, it's at that point that she tells um, Jack Scott that she had planned her own abduction. She had she'd done this with Nancy Ling Perry of the SLA, who had supplied her with drugs. Um, the only members of the SLA who were informed that this was happening are Nancy Ling Perry and uh, Donald DeFries. They, they wanted to use this as an opportunity to train their cell, so to speak. But her motivation for um, this activity was she did not want... Um, to get married to Stephen Weed. She decided that this was something that she didn't want to do. She had fallen out of love with him, but she had gone so far. She's living with him. Um, the engagements in the newspapers, mm -hmm. all this is happening. And she didn't want to admit to her uh, mom in particular that her mom was right. She was wrong. She felt penned in, hence this, this plan. Now, uh, this is the only source, legitimate source, that states this uh, version of events. So it's included so that people can decide for themselves what they think. Now, mm -hmm. what are the events that support this? Um, the events that support this idea is not only the fact that she goes on to become Tanya, but and her actions at the Hibernia bank robbery. But what really stands out about this is the shootout in Los Angeles at Mel's Sporting Goods, when both Emily and Bill Harris are essentially captured at this point for shoplifting. She's sitting in a van across Crenshaw Boulevard. Nobody knows she's there. She can drive the van wherever she wants. She could do whatever she wanted but she gets out a semi-automatic uh, rifle and starts firing indiscriminately to free her two friends. Mm 
So she's providing cover at this point. Yes. She's actively getting involved. If you look at the FBI documents, there are um, documents in which she has um, cased a bank and has right, written out in detail the location of the bank, uh, doors, everything. Um, she's heavily involved in feminist politics now, and she's, she's involved in writing about feminist politics within her cell. Uh, she has changed quite a bit as a person politically um, as well. So it's a different Patty Hearst than the, the young lady who was um, uh, picked up on the 19th. So whatever happened, if she was kidnapped, if she was part of it or not, she is um, greatly changed. Now, yeah. another event is the, her relationship with Willie Wolf, which she states uh, she was raped by Willie Wolf. She didn't have a relationship with him. She despised him. Um, but we're talking about a group that's a very feminist-oriented uh, group. Uh, one of the members, Bill Harris, mentioned to me in an interview, had anybody raped uh, Patricia Hurst or anybody else in the cell, if any male had done that, that any one of the female members would have walked up to them and put a bullet in their brain. Okay. He goes, that would not have been acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Um, do I believe Bill Harris on that point? Absolutely. Um, Patricia Soltysik, I had no doubt that she would have uh, defended any of the women um, from a rapist within the cell. Um, the other point is um, a little, uh, small little token of affection that Willie Wolf gave to Patricia Hurst. Uh, it was called an Olmec, O-L-M-E-C, an Olmec monkey. It was a little, um, yeah, this tiny little figurine. And he had tied a, a leather band to it and given it to her. Had she despised him, she probably would have thrown it out. But it was in her possession when she's arrested over, what is it, uh, 15 months after the shootout in Los Angeles. She still has it on her possession. Okay. And so there's a number of these little events that just, that she mentions that don't add up. Now, does this all verify um, Jack Scott's um, theory or what, you know, his, his uh, version of events? No, but they make you pause and wonder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that during these events, because I was so young, I was just in my early teens, it really was the first time I heard of Stockholm Syndrome. And the arguments were that... Uh, Patty Hearst, uh, a.k.a. Tanya, had come to care about her captors um, through the process of having been kidnapped. Um, and even then, it sounded, it sounded like a stretch, given everything else that was going on. Um, not that I doubt the syndrome, because I do believe that, that it is a very legitimate, very real possibility. Um, and yet, what's even more real with what I know about people now in my grand old age is the possibility that she just wanted out of a, a bad uh, engagement. Um, 
you know, because that's something that's just kind of so real. We know that people will act very strangely, both young men and young women, you know, will act very strangely. They'll do almost anything to avoid just an honest confrontation. Yeah. Yes. It's very interesting. Um, I think she, she, what appealed to her and, and the, the, the final version is only Patty Hearst will, will know the honest truth. And I don't think we'll ever get it. But what's interesting is um, she not only seems to care, but it's the first time I think in her life she's really come across a group of people who are willing to give their lives for something. Mm-hmm. And she becomes enamored of this group that is willing to go to all limits. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's it's a different environment for her. And then, of course, once she becomes revered as almost like the poster child, um, it becomes a self-fulfilling thing, really, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's what um, Bill Harris has said that a few times, that it's kind of like a case of O. Henry's ransom of Red Chief, that mm-hmm. once they grab her, they can't get rid of her. Um, yeah. They can't give her back. Um, she's become part of this fabric. Uh, especially after the shootout in Los Angeles. Prior to that, the SLA really doesn't have any support, especially in the Bay Area. Um, they're considered too extreme. But after the confrontation with the with the police in um, Los Angeles, um, the new left, in a sense, embraces the idea of the SLA and trying to keep them safe, even though they don't embrace the violence. Mm-hmm. So they become a part of the new left fabric after this. Uh, in Berkeley, you'll have posters everywhere. Uh, Tanya lives. Um, the, the poster of her and her beret and the, and the, uh, the rifle. So um, it, she really becomes a part of this movement, or what's, I should say, what's left of a movement in uh, the the 74, 75 period, when the new left is essentially uh, dying on the vine. And the iconic image is, you know, looking back at it in retrospect, you it, it's almost like a sanitized version of terrorism. I mean, yes. you know, it's so obvious what she is, you know? Yeah. Um, a little rich girl, and um, yet here she is in her beret and taking a stance and I mean, in, in, in the light of hindsight, it's almost ludicrous. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's something that couldn't happen today. I don't think in the same extent because you have video cameras everywhere. So somebody would have, somebody would have tracked down Patricia Hearst, but they were able to hide in plain sight mm-hmm. um, just by not getting a cable you know, or a phone line or a cable line yeah. or anything of that. They were able to literally go into a major city and disappear. Yeah. Uh, so it's much different. But were they uh, terrorizing? The co- Absolutely. Um, even writers of the New Left, there's an art, uh, David Horowitz, who was with Ramparts at the time, uh, they wrote an editorial and they wouldn't sign their names to it because they were scared to death because it's anti-SLA. Um, and, and they were scared to death that these folks were going to come after them and try to kill them. 
Yeah. Even the new left was afraid of them. So um, it, it's an organization. They really thought that they were going to lead a Fidel Castro-like revolution in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And here in Canada, we had just started to come out of the FLQ crisis. And um, that's something I'd love to see written about uh, one day soon, too. And it all kind of it all kind of tends to blend in together. It's sort of of a type, if you'll if you'll pardon the expression, you know, um, where there's this undercurrent of sort of romantic support. And yet this is something that is really, truly awful. You know, people, people are dying, perhaps not in, in very large numbers, but just the same. Every human life has to be worth something. Yeah. These were innocent people, whether it's, uh, uh, Myrna Opsel in, in the bank, um, in uh, Carmichael, California, or, or Marcus Foster, who's a, a, a revered educator in Oakland, mm-hmm. um, who the SLA, for reasons they still cannot explain to this day, decided to assassinate. Uh, it, it just, it, it's and I bizarre. Hate, I hate to say it because I have no idea. But I could almost imagine it just being some kind of personal vendetta. One of, one of the members just being mad at him. Yeah. And, yeah. and um and that is not anything more than just flat out murder. Yeah. I mean that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Murder under a disguise, exactly. Yes. Well, yes. Greg, this is it's really wonderful to talk to you about this. I, I tend to mostly talk to crime fiction authors and um your book is just fascinating to me. I love the historical aspects of it. I love the way you've laid it out. Um I highly recommend it to people, and as I recommend it, let me repeat the title. It's called The Symbionese Liberation Army and Patricia Hurst, Queen of the Revolution, by Gregory Cumming and Stephen Sales. And Stephen is with PH, so if you're looking it up on Amazon, you should find it easy to uh, locate. And what I was saying about the layout, I mean, you've given the characters, the list of figures, um, uh, you know, a, a timeline. You're, you're making it very easy for people who want to learn their history to enjoy the read, which is, you know, getting things into layman's terms isn't always very easy. In fact, I think it's one of the biggest challenges for writers of true crime um, is how to reach people with the facts and make it compelling, you know. So, so thank you for that. Thank you for taking the time to give it such an easy read layout well i have to thank the editors for that tom long lauren uh they both (laughs) uh pushed me to to include those aspects of the book Mm -hmm. they were absolutely right i i found out that a good editor is is a great resource yes uh, when uh putting a book together and i've had with great oak press i have had fantastic support Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you've got excellent documentation as well in, in the bibliography. Um, so so I really appreciate the amount of effort that's gone into laying out the case here. Now, I'm going to ask you a tough question. You may choose not to answer it. But given the latest evidence un, unraveled by your research, where do you fall on the whole question? On um, on Patty Hearst, whether she planned yes. it. Um 
boy, I go back and I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I go back and forth. Um, what were the, the things that I've laid out, her relationship, her inability to um, be honest about her relationship, her inability um, to really talk about her time with the SLA, um, honestly leads me to believe that it is a distinct possibility. And when I started the project, I would not have said that. I yeah. would not have come. But just the... the um, there's just been so much, I guess, obfuscation would be the word I'd use. Yeah. Um, nothing ever seems to be clean and clear. Yeah. Um, if you read her book, um, there's a there's parts in which she's very honest, and parts in which she is opaque at best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people who are repeatedly opaque tend to be of a type. Now, with the caveat that, of course, we don't know. I mean, of course, we can't know and we can't, uh, you know, in, in a podcast or in a discussion among friends or anywhere publicly convict somebody when we really don't know. Yeah. But, you know, when I was young, let me put it this way. When I was young, my sympathy would have been with Patty Hearst. Yes. Not because I agreed with her politics or the actions, but because as a young person, I could see somebody being overwhelmed um, by the times and by the actions of people around them. In my older age, I've met too many people who cannot tell the truth. And it has jaded me to that sort of uh, sympathy. And I, you can almost divide the world into people who more or less tell the truth, because none of us tell it all the time, and people who seldom tell the truth, because nobody lies all the time. Yes. Um, and the people who seldom tell the truth, it's a mistake to believe them. It really is kind of that simple in my mind. That's an interesting, very interesting point. Because it just seems like with Willie Wolf, the relationship, it, it, she just flat out will not admit um, what transpired. And I think that, to me, that's very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, because it seemed like it was very meaningful to her at one time. Mm -hmm. Now, she ended up with another Stephen, didn't she? She, uh, Stephen Celaya, um, she was, she was date, or I guess living with him in a relationship with him when she was arrested. Um, and, and then uh, eventually she marries her bodyguard after she's out of jail. Uh, they um, were married um, until his death, I think, in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Had uh, had daughters, two daughters, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. So, I mean, she did. She managed to, to fashion some sort of a life, which is a, yeah. a good thing, of course, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for the book. And again, I'm going to pump it one more time for listeners. The Symbionese. Ah, let me let me let you say it. The Symbionese Liberation Army and Patricia Hearst, Queen of the Revolution. You say it so much better than I do, Greg. Thank you very much. And this is Dr. Gregory Cumming, uh, the uh, author, along with Stephen Sales. Look for it on Amazon or any place where you get great books. Thank you very much for joining us, Greg. I really appreciate it. And stay on the line for a moment. I sure will.
like to thank historian and author Dr. Gregory Cumming for joining us today on Dead to Rights to talk about his book, The Symbionese Liberation Army and Patricia Hurst, Queen of the Revolution. And I highly recommend that you look this book up. It really is laid out in layman's um, uh, terms so that it's accessible to any reader. And it's a great slice of history. Thanks for joining us today on the pod. We've really enjoyed being here with you on this gorgeous July day and uh, look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Our thanks go out to Ted Carrick for all background music for Dead to Rights, um, which are all original compositions. And uh, thanks to all listeners and people who have joined us to date. See you next week. Dusty road, a man alone. His vital signs go on hold. And I don't know what you've been told. But the years have turned my eyes gold. And I told you what you told me. We'd never be in the same boat for free, yet it rides, let it ride.